But me and the Lord, we got an understanding. We're on a mission from God. I pledge allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the band. It may perhaps discourage you, unless of your kidney or infected with this vicious virus, that you'll be ordered to pay a fine of seventy-five pounds. Right now, just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder. These guys are 11. Let's get rocking! Welcome to Movies at Rock, a rock and roll journey through cinema. I'm your host, Josh Fitzgerald. Or as I will be known for this evening, I'll be known as Fitzy, because today joining me for the first time on Movies at Rock is my friend Berkey. How are you doing tonight? <laughs> doing well. Good. Glad to hear it. And uh, Berkey and I are going to be talking about the Blues Brothers. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a person who I've I've known via the internet for a while, via Twitter and Rock Solid and yeah, all that we- stuff. We became friends uh, through Twitter, and the, we're both fans of the Rock Solid podcast. Yes. Uh, you, you've hosted that a few times. Uh, yes, of which I have to apologize to everybody. <laughs> I've yet to host my Black Keys episode, mostly because Pat probably won't let me. <laughs> we'll work on it. I, I've been yeah. trying. I live in Iowa. I make beer for a living. Nice. And I, enjoy, nice. I enjoy cycling. I'm a big cyclist, too. I have not done it at all yet this year, but... I, I miss it. I, I need to get out and start doing that soon. My legs are turning into jello. Uh, your legs and your butt will just turn to jello. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's true. You know, I'm thinking with all the social distancing and isolation that uh, Pat might get so stir crazy that he'll have no choice but to do a Black Keys episode. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, with the social distancing, the biking's nice because I just went out today and just getting to wave at people feels nice. For a uh, middle of the week the parks are pretty full but everyone's still doing social distancing no big crowds right right i imagine eventually you run out of stuff inside to do i would think so yeah i'm I'm, i haven't gotten to that point yet because i'm still doing like my work stuff but i've been feeling in like three yeah recording a plethora of podcasts tell a little bit about the beer you make is it something you've been doing for a while i've been a professional brewer for two and a half years now wow uh, our beer is only available inside Iowa, but uh, we're in the top three breweries in the state of Iowa. Right now, we're still working. We're just making all of our beer. Instead of filling kegs, it's all can sales because the grocery mm-hmm. stores are still open, so we're keeping all of them stocked. Do you have a um, like a team of people, or do you just do it with like a couple, yeah, one or two people? Or? Yeah, we have 10 to 12 people. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a pretty big operation. Very cool. So yeah, we decided that we're going to do the Blues Brothers. Um, actually, I should say you decided that we were going to do the yeah, Blues Brothers. Yeah, uh, I asked about it like a year ago, and ne- we never got around to it. And then Friday, yeah. you put out a call to action for uh, <laughs> podcast ideas. And I asked, has anyone done Blues Brothers yet? Just because when you, when you say movies that rock, it's the first one that comes to my mind. And like you said, I hadn't seen it in a while as well. And I was afraid it wouldn't live up to my memories of it. Mm-hmm. Kind of like I don't rewatch Star Wars because my memory of Star Wars is probably more enjoyable than the movie. Oh, for sure. I think it's one of those selective memory things where you remember the good parts, and so you're you know you tell yourself this is the best movie ever because there's like three amazing scenes in it that I'll never forget. We and then the rest of the movie is kind of a you know drag. <laughs> well, we were chatting yesterday. I I saw the runtime before I started. And I don't remember this <laughs> being over two hours. Right. <laughs> and I was, I was like, oh, what did I sign up for? But it, it went fast. It you did, know, it did go fast. I, I still liked it. I think it, I think it's held up. I mm-hmm. enjoyable. The, the music's great. The cameos are more fun now that I'm older. If you're coming into this movie for acting, don't. It, the behind the scenes, uh, feature on the DVD, they talk to the musicians like ten years after the movie or twenty years. And discuss like yeah we weren't we're musicians we weren't meant to act and the scene that really uh, sticks that out is when they're at the venue and Donald Duck Dunn goes children what are you talking about and I mean that's about as good as I would act yeah me too <laughs> like I read the I read the words out loud I don't know what more you could want but uh, with, with that runtime I was just going through what what would I yeah. cut 
to trim. And I there's one subplot we'll get to. Yes, I, I probably have the same opinion. So here, this is kind of what I had thought because the last time I saw this movie was in college. So we're talking like oof, forty it, years ago, fifty-five ish, fifty to fifty-five. You're the oldest, Francis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At least. (laughs) (laughs) So this has, this movie has many flaws that normally I would have trouble forgiving. Like it's too long. It, this is going to sound like I'm eviscerating the movie, by the way. So don't take it that way, but it's too long on the wrong foot. Yeah. No, no, no. That cause this is not, I'm just being, I'm trying to be diplomatic. So it's, it's the music, the musical numbers I found were somewhat clumsily edited a little bit, maybe a little awkwardly staged, the non-musical scenes were very funny, but sometimes they felt a little stretched out, at times almost laborious. And many of the jokes were maybe extended past their breaking point, and the absurdity is off the charts. But that said, there's like no other movie that's quite like the Blues Brothers. It's very... Belushi and Aykroyd are so charismatic, and it's infectious. And um, any of the technical shortcomings are more than made up for it, just by its energy and its love and its passion for its musical subjects. And it's very, I still found it to be very innovative and very exciting and, and clever and unpredictable. And it's just simply a lot of fun. It, yeah, fun is the definitely the first word I thought. Uh, I saw this movie, which it was the first R-rated movie I ever saw. My mom showed oh, wow. it to me oh, wow. way too young, just for the music <laughs> though. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's music, a soft it, R. It's not like there's any horrible you know yeah i think i think it'd be pg-13 now yeah well they exceed the one f-bomb limit i'll take all right take some language out and yeah I, the cable edits are pretty funny oh i bet <laughs> uh but and the but the music really opened my eyes because i saw this at, like, probably when i was in middle school mm-hmm. and i was listening to not great music at the time like uh lincoln park was probably my favorite oh, band boy. in middle yeah, I know. Although, Although you it, know, to be fair, that's every middle schooler's favorite band, right? It's yeah. like think you're edgy, right? See, I and thought then, you were going to say like Limp Biscuit or you know. No, I was. I, I, that's too far. Okay. <laughs> yes. But and I'm then, a little relieved. Thank you. In high school, I went through a real classic rock phase and missed out on all popular music of the 2000s. Okay, that was a good time to be a classic rock fan. Sure, and then but this music really opened up uh, my eyes to the blues in general. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, rhythm and blues and covers 60s. They have songs uh, at the one of the last songs is one of the first blues standards. Everyone knows. Yep. And this mixed with my public library where I lived at the time had a very large blues CD collection. Oh, wow. and, I, and I would just check it out all the time. And, and it's really be this weird high schooler listening to blues music. <laughs> Yeah, on my C on my CD player on the way to school. I can only imagine how unusual that must have been. But it's also unusual for a library, like a public library, to have an extensive blues selection. Yeah, I was lucky. The library where I lived then and now have both have extensive blues CD collections, just to keep mm-hmm. the tradition alive. It's funny on one of the Blues Brothers albums, not the soundtrack. The Elwood introduces it as "Let us play rhythm and blues one time before it's relegated to just the library section." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And it's, you know, it's this also kind of opened my eyes to Craig Smith and I kind of go at length a little bit about how we got tired of a lot of like very repetitive blues acts that played Woodstock with cookie cutter one, four, five chord structure and very limited melody. Yes, I know what those words mean. Oh, good, good. Yeah. And cool. um, <laughs> well, and I'm glad I watched this movie when I did, because it kind of helped me reassess what blues really is and what the definition of that genre of music is and it's not just that it is more all-encompassing it's, it's more soul it's more r&b it's more even gos- gospel the, you know yeah that's why the blues brothers i think they call themselves a rhythm and blues band yeah yeah they're yeah. just not that old school like some of my uh have you ever heard anything by lead belly oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah and so some of those blues songs are just a guy singing and playing an acoustic acoustic guitar Mm-hmm. But yeah, this with the horns, and I mean that really—it's such a big band, and it makes it's it huge. so exciting. Yeah. Makes yeah. the music very danceable, and it's yeah, it's definitely not what most people would immediately associate with blues, but it's it's the B part of the R and B, yeah, which is often forgotten. 
I'm still astonished at the, the array of cameos that are in this movie. That was the fun part watching this movie as I grew up was I would mm. recognize more people. I've yeah. got a new cameo for this one I think you'll like. Oh, okay. I have to say the one that that stood out for me that took me like a few seconds to even realize that's who it was was Shaka Khan in the... Uh... Oh, there goes my surprise. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to ruin it for you. All right, I'll throw away that page of notes. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get it. We'll get into it. We can let's start at the beginning then. You know what I'll do is I, I have actually like a, a summary of the plot, and then we can take it from there. And for the listeners, we decided we're going to go piece by piece in the story and do the musical numbers along with it, because this really is like a quasi musical. So John Belushi is Joliet Jack Blues, who's a recent Chicago parolee who's reunited with his brother and musical partner in crime, Dan Aykroyd's Elwood. Upon Jake's release, the two brothers visit the Roman Catholic orphanage where they were raised and discover that the home owes $5,000 in property taxes, or it'll be shut. After an epiphany at a revivalist gospel service led by none other than James Brown, Jake and Elwood set out to recruit members of their old band, the Blues Brothers, and raise the needed funds, all while avoiding cops, spurned ex-lovers, a variety of soul and R&B legends, and practically everyone else that they meet along the way. That's a wrap. We did it. So interestingly, at the beginning of the movie, when we see John Belushi's, what do we want to call him here? Jack, Joliet, what do you think? It's Joliet, Jake. It's just Jake. Jake why did it's I write Jake Jack? Blue. I don't, I, I should have said something, but you were on a roll. Because I have Jack for the first one, then the second time I wrote it, I have the right name, Jake. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know. I must have just had a moment. But um, we'll call him Joliet for this, I guess. I, or just Jake. Jake works. We'll, yeah, that's uh, even easier. So at the beginning of the movie, is the only time we see Jake without his hat and his uh, his suit, and he takes his sunglasses off at one point in the movie, but yeah, he's in full jail regalia. It starts off with that funny moment where he's being released on parole, and he can't cross that yellow line. <laughs> but, yeah, the, the line the guard says where he's, well, this is it, and you think it's going to be something ominous. So in order to for him to sign his papers, he has to like basically bend his whole body forward while keeping his toes behind the yellow line. <laughs> it's... And, and the whole time, Frank Oz is describing all the things he checked into prison. Yes, that's right. Frank Oz is that. Yes. Yeah. And I, I haven't been to prison, Josh. Have you? Uh, no, I haven't as of yet. So I, but I, this, is, this was where I learned, oh, I guess you just check in everything you brought with you. So he gets his stuff and then uh, his brother's outside waiting for him. And then, yeah, the first song plays. It's uh, She Caught the Katie. And it's a cover by a song by Taj Mahal. Mm-hmm. And this is, uh, according to Belushi's ex-wife, it was his favorite blues song. She Caught the Katie Left me a mule to ride She caught the Katie Left me a mule to ride My baby caught the Katie Left me a mule to ride The train pulled out I swung on sets the energy well for the movie it does i was listening to the the best of taj mahal on spotify this morning Mm -hmm. and it's it's very reminiscent of the blues brothers music it's a it's r&b horns guitar that's right up my alley i'm gonna have to download that yeah look into the best of taj mahal it was also covered by peter frampton and that was i enjoyed the cover as well and do you know what the katie is i don't the katie is the missouri kansas texas railroad so his baby caught the train, didn't take him, and he's got to catch up by mule. Peter Frampton's cover, was it like later in his career? It was off an album of his where he just did blues covers. I didn't catch the year when that came out. Okay, I'll, I'll investigate that because it's it definitely it's, It definitely has that Frampton-ish sound. Yeah, yeah. Does it have like the, the what is that mouth thing? No, <laughs> there's no wah. Okay. No, she caught the wah, wah. <laughs> So we hear that song as they're driving through to go to the orphanage where they grew up, where they were raised. We don't really know that much about their background outside of the fact that they grew up in this Catholic orphanage. No, and then they were the Blues Brothers was a recurring SNL sketch, and there wasn't yes. much story or background with them. They were just musical interludes. Actually, yeah, that reminds me. I had a question written down. Is this one of the very first SNL spinoff movies? It is one of the first SNL spinoff movies, and Paul Schaefer was the the original keyboardist in the Blues Brothers band, but he couldn't be wow, here because wow. he was on the he was working on Gilda Radner's Broadway show at the time. And legend has it that 
uh, Lorne Michael was upset he wasn't involved with the movie because it's an it was supposedly an SNL property, so he should be involved in SNL movies. And so every SNL movie after this has Lorne Michaels involved. And I think one could argue that this is probably the best movie based off an SNL sketch. Right. <laughs> Keep Lorne Michaels away. I, I mean, no one's doing a podcast about It's Pat. That might not be true. <laughs> I mean, we still could. But, uh, we'll, be, we'll, be, we'll be isolated for a while, so. Next week on Movies That Rock. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, we get to the orphanage and... Um, and they're going in the bluesmobile, which I think is yes. as much character as the rest of them. Oh, absolutely! Thank you for mentioning that. Well, the the new bluesmobile. Yes, the old bluesmobile was a Cadillac. Yes, that this they is a, a microphone. <laughs> a microphone and a rundown police car. Because I read a statistic where, first of all, this movie costs like an outrageous amount of money to make. It also holds, I think, the record still for having the most cars destroyed in one movie. I think that got surpassed by Blues Brothers 2000. Oh, no kidding. That, which is a movie that does not rock. So they get to their, um, they get to the orphanage and they see Sister Mary Stigmata. Played by Kathleen Freeman. Yeah, yeah. She's a very prolific actress. Yes. This was a very scary scene when I was watching it as a child. Oh, I bet. It's a very terrifying crucifix or a very old school Catholic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> every and, every little profanity that comes out, she starts whacking him with the stick. Yes, and come closer, and they're, they're like Jake, so fat he can barely sit fit in the chair. And then they start swearing, and the more she slaps him with the stick, the more they swear, so they never they can't stop. <laughs> yeah, just, and they they tumble down the stairs, very Three Stooges. Some of the scenes and jokes I thought were maybe a little stretched out too much. That might be an example. Or it's kind of taken like the absurdity goes a little too far, but I also get why they did it. It's it's but, and that's that's in the tradition of SNL. Right, right, that's true. And seeing it, I think maybe seeing it in that movie package was a little. It took some getting used to. But yeah, this scene's important because it sets up the plot. The what's the problem our mm-hmm. heroes need to solve? They need to get a way to find a way to get five thousand dollars in two three days. Right, legally. Because right. she was not going to, she was not going to go for stolen money. Right, can't hold up a joint again. Right, <laughs> and then we get our first big cameo, Mister Cab Calloway. He helped raise them along with the Penguin. If you don't know him, he's a big time jazz singer and band leader back in the early 20th century. And there's videos of him on YouTube with his big band, and he, he wears grandiose tuxedos, does fun jazz songs. My favorite song by him is "A Chicken Ain't Nothing But a Bird." Yeah, he's a legend. He's um he's from Rochester, New York, which neighbors where I live. So he's he's pretty legendary up in my neck of the woods, which is pretty cool to see him in this. Cab Calloway's the one that suggests they go find God. Yes, which is what they go and do in the next scene. And boy, do they find God. They find God in the shape of James Brown, who's leading the revivalist chorus or choir, I guess, at, at the Triple Rock Baptist Church. And like you mentioned, this is the first viewing where I realized Chaka Khan is the choir soloist. Soloist. Yeah, which sort of because I couldn't really hear her. But there's a few um, sub shots of her. There's a few shots, and that's why it took me like when they first showed her for just a split second. I, I just kind of thought in the back of my head that looks like Chaka Khan. Then like if it were Chaka Khan, they would probably spend more time showing her. So maybe it's not. And then they cut to her yeah, a few I, more times, and then she started getting more into it. Yeah, I've been listening to a Chaka Khan a lot lately because of her uh, album last year called Hello Happiness. I love that album. Yeah. Yesterday was her birthday. Happy belated birthday, Shaka. Cheers. Yeah, she's uh, just incredible. There's a lot of dancing, jumping up and down. Everyone's well-dressed, which mm. is I I love about this scene. Mm. And then uh, Jake sees the light in a kind of a Monty Python-esque cartoony way. <laughs> yes. But I, I like Elwood's response, what light? <laughs> that That's his great epiphany, and he starts doing backflips down the aisle of the church. Yeah. The band! The band? <laughs> That's when they're like, you know what? Let's get the band back together. Let's get the money that way. We have the problem. We found a solution. But now we have another problem. We have to get the band back together. And it's a large band. They have their moment, their big number in the church with James Brown, which is actually, it's a really incredible number. They leave the church. They start driving back and then they get pulled over. <laughs> yeah. And then the song playing in this background is Soothe Me by Sam and Dave. Yes, I love Sam and Dave. I kind of was sad that I that they didn't play the whole song because I was more into that than I was into 
seeing what was going to happen with them getting pulled over. <laughs> but it leads into a legendary car chase scene. Right, because it, it switches from Soothe Me to Hold On, I'm Coming by Sam and Dave, which is a song I think everyone knows. Yeah, that's a, that's a classic. My family would quote this movie a lot. This was the first uh, time they said, we're on a mission from God. Iconic movie quote. And I, I, it's that supernatural protection why no one gets killed in all the shenanigans. Even with all, like you said, the mall scene, there's a lot of destruction and mayhem, but everyone comes out okay. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I, I saw that this movie was put on a list of, of I think like the top 50 movies that were approved by the Vatican or something like that that's a sounds like a fun list yeah it absolutely does and this scene in the mall is also pretty iconic if this movie is known for anything other than the music it's known for these car chase scenes right and it starts with a joke because it the guy's holding up Grover and asks if they have Miss Piggy and those are both <laughs> yes. <by> Frank Oz. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. My favorite part is that as they're driving through the mall, they're just so casually talking about, oh, Pier 1 Imports. Cadillac's in early this year. And this place, this, that's something we'd, we'd say anytime we we're in a, in a mall is, this place has got everything. <laughs> yeah, it's, they're acting like they're just walking through the mall, just enjoying it in, instead of they're causing mayhem and destroying everything. Right. And I guess also, too, that Universal years after the movie was finished, were actually sued by the Dixie Square Mall where they filmed that because they never bothered to clean up the mess after they destroyed it because it was a closed mall. But It was a decommissioned mall, so I, right. I don't know. I, I figured they'd just wait to tear it down altogether. Right, right, which is what eventually happened, but not until like seven or eight years ago. And then uh, the other uh, quotable line in here is, they broke my watch. Which is said a few times in the movie. They make it finally make it to Elwood's house, and we see our the first appearance by Miss Carrie Fisher. Yeah, this film was 1980, so Empire Strikes Back era Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Actually, this movie came out the same day as Empire Strikes Back, I read. Well, no wonder it bombed at the box office. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And she doesn't even really say much of... I don't think she has any lines until the end of the movie. Not, yeah, not until the end, but I... I'm curious on how she got her hands on a rocket launcher. Yeah, a rocket launcher that completely destroys Elmwood's build. Elmwood, wow, Elwood's building. The entrance goes, but well, they're on a mission from God. They're under supernatural protection. So away she goes, unsuccessful. Well, she doesn't. She didn't stay around to make sure it worked. She just drove off, which I, I assume any <laughs> rational person would. But they dust themselves off, go in, and then you have the immortal line: "You got my cheese whiz, boy." <laughs> yes. And he just pulls and it out of his pocket and tosses it to him. And I love that that's not discussed any further. Right. It's just, that's that's a nice tight joke. It doesn't linger too long. Yep. He doesn't explain to Jake why that's a cheese whiz guy. One and done, non sequitur, and it's out. And then his, I like his little uh, efficiency apartment. Very efficient in space. Something we'd say around the house is, hey, you sleaze, my bed. And then the other line that became important for me is the first apartment I moved, lived in when I moved to Iowa, there was a train uh, railroad right behind my apartment. So it was, how often does the train go by? So often you won't even notice it. And that's true. That's what it became. And it's true that every time you see Elwood's window, there's a train going by. Yeah. There's another Carrie Fisher moment not long after where she tries to detonate the building. Right. When the and cops the, go in. Well, before that, the he puts a, a blues record on as he's oh, making yeah. toast yeah. And, and Jake's going to sleep. And that's Let the Good Times Roll by... Louis Jordan and his Timpani Five. Yeah, and, and it's I, on a like a '78 record. Yeah, and I don't I don't know anything about Louis Jordan and his Timpani Five except from this movie. Everybody, let's have some fun. You only live but once, and when you're dead, you're done. So let the good times roll. Let the good times roll. It's a good song. I enjoy it. Yeah. So then the cops come and... John Candy. Yes, that's right. John, John Candy, Candy is Elwood's parole officer, and he and he's on to Elwood's trick of his address being Wrigley Field. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if that was a big laugh at, in the local Chicago theaters. Does everyone in Chicago know Wrigley Field's address? I, I they, imagine it's the stuff of legend there. Yeah. 
they explain it pretty quick at the movie Wrigley Field, but I, there's a pause where am I supposed to laugh? Is that an inside Chicago joke? Right. Question for J- Jimmy Pardo. The house gets detonated. Carrie Fisher tries again. Everybody's unscathed. They just dust they're, themselves off and walk away. Yep. Followed by the, the cops who are a little slower on the uptake, but they're also um, unharmed. The gods are watching over them too. But it explains the escalation towards the end of the movie why they, they just keep inviting more and more people to chase. Because maybe they True. think the Blues Brothers are, are behind all of it. Then they, they are, they're on their first quest to find band members and they go to uh, a tenant house. Yes. With a very stereotypical Italian mother. Are you police? No, ma'am. We're musicians. <laughs> it's, oh, okay. Let's them in. <laughs> gives her the card. Gives them the card for Murph and the Magic Tones. Right, and then we pick up six band members at once. The song they're playing at, at the Holiday Inn is called "Quando Quando Quando." It's a Brazilian jazz song, and uh, Michael Bublé has done a cover of it. I could I could hear him doing that. That is kind of in his wheelhouse. Dime quando tu verai. Dime quando quando quando. You should edit that out. <laughs> uh, but we pick up five band members Murphy, Murph Dunn, Steve the Colonel Cropper, Donald Duck Dunn, Willie Too Big Hall, and Tom Bones Malone. A good chunk of the horn section there. Then we get to Mr. Fabulous. This is a fun scene. I, I, we would be on the floor laughing. Yeah, this is one of the ones I think I have to be honest that maybe went on a little too long for me. Uh, maybe when I was younger, I I just couldn't stop laughing. But I and I well, and you probably eat in restaurants like this all the time, so you just don't you don't you don't, don't. completely. <laughs> You're typically buying two hundred dollar bottles of wine and oh yeah, I'm a pinkies out kind of. Uh, yeah, you don't care for layabouts coming in and ruining your fine dining experience. Yeah, no, that's I have a, I have a big issue with that. I find it offensive. But yeah, Mister Fabulous is a mater d making big bucks, and the person who offers the hundred seventy five dollar wine is Paul Rubens. Yes, Pee Wee Herman himself. Free Pee Wee. I love the look on his face when they order that uh, the bottle of champagne. He's trying mm-hmm. to be polite, and he just kind of looks to the side like, what the hell is going on? And, and then the, the angry family next to him, are they bothering you, sir? Well, frankly, they smell. Yes. I mean, they smell bad. <laughs> and this, this reminded me of the movie Parasite. We've got class warfare here. Yeah, yeah, big time. But Especially then, with the smell. That's a huge uh, theme in that movie. In Parasite, where they, they talk about the how the people in sub-basements smell different. Yep. That's, I immediately thought of Parasite. Same here. This scene's funny with the shrimp throwing. They're just eating lettuce off plates. <laughs> the women, how much for your girls? How- it showed, too, how they'll just be friends with anybody. They don't care. Right. And then we'll come in here for breakfast, lunch, and dinner until you join back in the band. Every day. And I, I guess, like... It, Mr. Fabulous just gives up right away because it's like he knows. He knows they're not bluffing. Yeah. And then they finally leave and then the guy, sir, sir, sir. sir. <laughs> then we get to the subplot that I would cut out completely. Oh, the Nazi one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I hate Illinois Nazis. The lead Nazis played by Henry Gibson. Big. He was big on laughing. Uh, now a poem by Henry Gibson. So it's funny to see such a soft-spoken kind of funny actor play a Nazi. Right. <laughs> but I feel like if we cut out this this whole subplot, the movie would be better. A better movie be a shorter movie, it'd be a more uh more just a more entertaining movie. Like, there's some funny parts, but I I think if you just cut that fat out. But they at least uses that opportunity to jump the bridge. They run the bridge, make the not the Nazis jump in the river mm-hmm. and the cops cheering. And that's about that bit for that scene until they get to the restaurant. Before they get to the restaurant, there's a cameo by one of my favorite blues musicians, John Lee Hooker. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's He's like a blinky miss it cameo. Yeah, and it's one my mom pointed out to me. It was like, look, that's John Lee Hooker. You're going to want to learn his music. Mm-hmm. Not, not like learn to play. I can't right. play anything. <laughs> but yeah, uh, his big song, Boom Boom, uh, from 1961. Boom, 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 boom. I feel yeah. like that's a 
the song even most people would know. Absolutely. Even if it's just in commercials, because they use a lot of like, car commercials and stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that song was um, so recent. When I think of like people like John Lee Hooker and, and Blues Founding Fathers, I think of, you know, like 50s, maybe even late 40s in some cases. Yeah, I think the rhythm and blues like Taj Mahal, uh, who we talked about earlier with She Caught the Katie, he was big in the 60s. I think it maybe that's when it finally got published because these blues guys could have been playing for a long time and when they finally get record deals. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a really short cameo, but it, it's great. And it's, a, it's an immediately recognizable song. Yeah, and it's just cool to see him playing in the street. Like if I just walked, if I was walking around downtown Chicago and I heard that, I would just start walking towards it. Yeah, it's a surprisingly sparse crowd for such a legend. Yeah, well, maybe I don't recognize him. He's from Detroit. True. And so then we get to the restaurant, and uh, this is maybe the most legendary cameo, the most famous scene in the movie, I'd say, because it's none other than uh, Miss Aretha Franklin. Oh, I thought you meant because of their food order. Oh, that too. Yeah, <laughs> the the one slice of uh, white bread, dry, dry toast. And yep, I like fried chicken. Yep, four f- whole fried chickens and a Coke. And the the funny part about that is she's explaining to her husband Matt Guitar Murphy about these Hasidic diamond selling looking guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uncut gems reference. Yes. <laughs> and then he rec- he knows exactly who they are just based on the food order, which I always thought was funny. That's He's... another recurring theme: is they owe a lot of people money. They owe everybody money. They're going to continue to owe more people money as the movie goes on. Here we pick up Matt Guitar Murphy and Blue Lou Marini is also working in the restaurant as dishwasher. He was not real happy with this scene in the movie, which we'll describe in a second, but this is maybe the most legendary part of the movie where Aretha Franklin is not happy that her husband is going to be going off with the Blues Brothers. And so she tells him that he better think. And she sings the whole song. You better think, think, think about what trying to do to me. Yeah. Think, 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 let your mind go, let yourself be free. And unfortunately, what happened is uh, Blue Lou Marini was disappointed in that a lot of his uh, his dance moves was cut off. Right, and, and you don't see the lower half of him, right? Yep, exactly. While it's one of the most famous scenes in the movie, I didn't think the scene was directed very well. It was like oddly edited and staged. There's um, a lot of cuts. There are, and and a lot of that too had to do with the fact that Aretha Franklin couldn't lip sync her own music. I'm not sure I could. Yeah. And you can see, I noticed a couple of times when she was singing that, that her lip syncing was very off. So they had, they did so many takes and they just cobbled together the ones where she was actually on with her singing. And that probably had a lot to do with why he didn't make the full cut. Mm. And I, I like how sometimes Jake and Elle would just jump in with the background dancers and then jump back to sitting at the bar. <laughs> yeah. In their poses. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a very energetic, very fun scene. Aretha sounds amazing as she always does, and she's actually a pretty good comedic actress. I she had me laughing; she was good. I think she's at, she's better at acting than the whole Blues Brothers band. Oh yeah, absolutely. So Matt Guitar Murphy agrees to go, as does Blue Lumarini. They just kind of walk out and leave her hanging, and then they go to meet our next huge cameo at the Ray's Music Exchange, Mister Ray Charles, and he uh, helps us to uh, shake our tail feather. <laughs> That scene where the kid's sneaking in trying to steal the guitar and Ray Charles brings out the gun and just shoots the wall. <laughs> just terrifying. It's terrifying, but he's so nonchalant about it at the same time. It breaks my heart to see a kid that young going bad. Yeah, they're trying to like get deals on the... It's like, I don't think there's any life left in this electric piano. And then Ray Charles <laughs> proves him wrong. And there's a really cool shot here with a close-up on Ray's face and the reflection in his glasses is the keys in his hands. I thought that looked really great. Yeah, this has everyone dancing in the street, shaking their tail feather. And um, Ray's the next person that to whom they owe an IOU. Yeah, <laughs> I have that in my notes too. <laughs> and of course, I imagine I'll have to accept an IOU. And they both like turn away from him looking sheepish. Yeah. <laughs> More money he won't be getting. Well, then they're going. To, they're stopping at a Howard Johnson because they're <laughs> on the road. They need somewhere to eat. And the song playing in the background is... Boogie Chillin', also by John Lee Hooker. Well, my mouth allow me Just to stay out all night long Oh, Lord Well, my mouth allow me Just to stay out all night long Yeah, that's a great song title. 
Boogie chilling. Boogie chilling. They go into a phone booth to call their old agent, Maury Sline, but then you know who shows up, this time with a flamethrower. <laughs> and, and for some reason, a phone booth is right next to a giant propane tank. And it comes out ahead because the phone booth explodes and they find $7 in change. And it like violently explodes too. It like shoots up probably like 100 feet in the air, comes flying down, smashes into pieces. I think, which all still supports my theory that they're yeah. under they're under protection. This whole stretch of the movie is an interesting one where they make their way out to the uh, to Bob's country bunker. The good old Blues Brothers boys. And then another uh, great quote: "We can have both kinds of music, country and western." And western. That was one of my favorite lines in the movie. <laughs> and they don't even know where they're going. They're just like driving. It's been three hours. We've been sitting here. Where are we going? He goes, oh, we're going to Bob's Country Bunker. There it shows up. And then they lie and pretend to be the good old boys. Yes. <laughs> and then Blue Lou Marini has one of his acting moments where they, they walk in and he goes, chicken wire? That's some foreshadowing right there. Yes, it is. And so they decide they're going to perform there and do... Uh... They started, give me some loving. It ends up with bottles being thrown at them, booing, and then the lights all being turned off. Why are they turning the lights off? Those lights are off on purpose, man. <laughs> But then you get one of the coolest songs in the movie, the theme from Rawhide. Rolling, 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 though the streams are swollen, keep them doggies rolling, Rawhide. Rain and wind and weather, hell bent for leather, wishing my gal was by my side. All the things I'm missing, good bills, love and kissing, waiting at the end of my ride. What key? A is a good country key. The back and forth, like the call and response between um, Jake and Elwood in that song is phenomenal. Oh, that's great. That really stands out to me. Yeah. And then he pulls out the whip and it wins the crowd over finally. They still have bottles thrown at him. Right. Which is why chicken wire. And then a lovely rendition of Stand By Your Man. This was the part as a kid where I'd, I'd get up and get another soda popper go to the bathroom it's a nice rendition i don't know any other songs by tammy Wynette. they end the set and you don't know what else they played because they played all night but you only, they're ending with rawhide again we find out that they got 200 dollars for the show but they drank 300 dollars in beer <laughs> which must be a lot of beer because how much did a beer cost in 1980 there's a lot of- and it only showed it showed them having like the bottle of budweiser at one point but i guess when you divide it among like an, what seven or eight person band it looks like a According to some research, a price of beer in 1980 was like $1.40, $1.50. Jeez. How are they even playing music by the end of that night with that much beer? That's probably why they're still playing Rawhide. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so they have to try and figure out how to get the $100. They ask the band members. None of them will pay. None of them can pay. So they just kind of up and leave. Here's the They tell the rest of the band to take off because they want them to pay for, more, pay for all the beer they drank. So the whole rest of the band except Jake and O would fit in the one car. And then as they're coming up with an escape plan, the good old boys show up straight from Nashville. Yep. Ready to play. The lead good old boy is played by Charles Napier. Good character actor. Nice baritone voice. (laughs) You're going to look pretty funny eating corn on the cob with no fucking teeth. (laughs) But yeah, uh, Jake pretends to be from the music union and gives him some rigmarole about not being able to play. And then he goes and tells Bob that there's, he's going to go sign a traveler check, and they just take off. And Bob figures out he's been swindled. And then there's, we, have a, we have another car chase, and we get a classic John Landis uh, gag. John Landis, the director. Yeah, I can't believe I didn't mention him yet at this point. So in all of his films, there's always a visual gag of a film in the future called See You Next Wednesday. And so here we see the billboard for See You Next Wednesday. Any John Landis film, keep eyes out for a See You Next Wednesday poster. I wonder if it's in the Thriller video, too. I don't know if that counts as a John Landis film. I, it's been a while since I've seen the whole Thriller. Yeah, uh, same here. Film. Well, um, you got a car chase, and miraculously, the same cops that originally pulled them over are there. And instead, they, they crash into the RV with the good old boys. No one seriously hurt or injured, but uh, the good old boys are arrested. And, and Bob, we cut to the Blues Brothers talking to Maury Sline in the sauna. That scene was kind of a shout out to Blood, Sweat, and Tears. There was like an album cover that they had. Do I have the band right? I thought that's I who guess it was. Uh, I'm not familiar with that, if that was a reference to that. I just thought it was weird that they're in hats, shades, and towels. Right. But then the, the big joke here is that you zoom out and the whole band's in the sauna. Yeah, at the very end when they finally right. make the deal. 
And that was that was a good switcheroo. I wasn't expecting that because it looks like it's a tiny sauna the way they have it. Um, it's, framed. it's a tight shot of those three. Yeah, and then you zoom out, and it's like the sauna in a in a public gym, and everyone's there. Very clever visual gag. Yeah. And we cut to it's time to promote the show. So Maury books them the big venue for their charity concert. And so the Blues Brothers steal a large speaker, tie it to the top of their car with ropes, and then just drive all around greater Chicago suburbs promoting the show. And the show is only $2. So they got to raise five grand with $2 tickets, fill up, fill up a large enough venue. And, and somehow yeah. not think that you know the, the cops and everybody are not going to find out about it. Well, they're on a mission from God. True. But yeah, they're, they're just driving around for a while, announcing different people. Elwood's got some funny lines here and there. This is true. They even got the kids to go around and promote the yeah, show. Like yeah, he makes his second appearance in the film. Hear ye, hear ye. Big show tonight. Blues Brothers. And it gets the kids from the orphanage. And it helps remind the audience about why all the shenanigans are happening. <laughs> true. <laughs> we quickly go from there. We go to the concert at the ballroom. The rest of the band gets there to the ballroom. Yeah. Then the Blues Brothers run into trouble. They finally run out of gas. And then the gas station they get to has run out of gas. <laughs> so while they're waiting for the gas, the rest of the band gets there and they run into Cab Calloway. And apparently the Blues Brothers never told the rest of the band why they're trying to do the concert. And we get a next big cameo. This will be exciting for the kids. It's Twiggy. Yeah. <laughs> he pulls up wine some gas too. Known as, I think she's credited as, as the chic lady. Dressed very uh, formally. She's got her hair done up in this fancy do. She looks lovely. She does. She looks lovely. So Elwood kind of pretends that he's going to be pumping her gas. Pretends that he works there. Yeah, he gets. He charges her $98. <laughs> Sounds outrageous even now. Yes. But yeah, and then he sets up like, so I'm playing this gig and then suggests if the date doesn't go well, because she's headed on a date, and if it doesn't go well, they could meet at a motel at midnight. <laughs> It's pretty smooth. Not at all shady. It's pretty smooth work by Elwood. Yeah. And then Jake finds out what time it is, and they gotta they gas up and head off. So the concerts, the concert hall starting to fill up. You got the good old boys and the cops coming. Prime and seating then, for both. <laughs> yeah, and then to sneak into well, before they even get there, Cab Calloway figures out how to calm the audience, and they play probably his biggest hit. And it's it's magical how the whole band transforms into like an old '30s jazz yeah yeah band ensemble. It's the first time I ever saw the drumming with those little wire brushes. Oh yeah, yep. And then they play Mini the Moocher, and they go one two three, and then the curtains open. Cab Calloway's in a great big white tuxedo. There's a fun call and response with the audience that we always did watching the movie. Howdy 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 so yeah that's a great moment and then they're still waiting for uh they're still waiting for jake and elwood right jake and elwood have to sneak into their own gig and mm -hmm. jake does, or elwood does a really cool move punches the window with his hat so yes. doesn't, doesn't cut his hand mm -hmm. they end up walking through the ladies room yeah, <laughs> to the shock and dismay of all of the occupants. Yes. So the good old boys are in the balcony, and then the cops all show up. State troopers. Everyone's holding, wielding a shotgun. <laughs> because so you, why? You know why couldn't you go to a concert with a shotgun in your hand? I, I don't know. But then John, instead of arresting them right away, John Candy's like, I've never even seen him play. They go get a seat in the back, and he orders. It's a it's a line that's quoted too much. Orange whip, orange whip, three orange whips. Fitzy, do you know how to make an orange whip? I do not. It's uh, four ounces of orange juice, one ounce rum, one ounce vodka, two ounces of cream, and you blend it together, pour over ice. Sounds delicious. It sounds awful to me. <laughs> it depends, juice, it depends um, on your tolerance of orange. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a, a white Russian, but with OJ. Okay. Like an orange Russian. Yeah, orange. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I guess you can have an orange whip after the show. All right, yeah, I'll, I'll make one and let you know how it goes. Great. <laughs> so are, are you not not into like the sweet? Not really into. I like bitter, dry cocktails. Okay, martini, I, that kind of thing. Yeah, I like martini, Negroni. Okay. If I'm gonna make a cocktail, I'll make a big Negroni. So the 
Cab Calloway spots the Blues Brothers poking their head through. So Cab has them play the Blues Brothers theme, which is I Can't Turn You Loose by Otis Redding. Which I did a rendition of at the top of the show. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Uh, Cab Calloway has a funny line of just back from their tour of Europe. Not that they were just in jail and <laughs> broken up doing odd jobs. The concert footage here is ph- is phenomenal too. There's so much energy. I mean, this is some of the best stuff. Sometimes I would put the DVD in and just skip to this scene. Oh yeah, I actually did watch this scene a couple times. It's so infectious and it's so much fun. It is. And the, the song they open up with is Everybody Needs Somebody to Love. And that was written written by Burt Burns, Solomon Burke, and Jerry Wexler, Wexler in 1964, famously covered by Wilson Pickett and uh, the Rolling Stones at different times. Everybody, everybody needs somebody. Everybody needs somebody to love. Someone to love. Someone to love. Sweetheart. Yeah, and, and uh, Wilson Pickett gets a shout-out when it's done from Jamie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's such a great song. I love how they dance along to it. The kicking and the uh, – it's very, very bouncy. They're very energetic. This is definitely worth all $2 to get in. They end up playing only one more song. Right. They play Sweet Home Chicago by Robert Johnson from 1936. It's a pretty famous blues standard. So Robert Johnson only recorded 29 songs, passed away at a very young age. He sold his soul to the devil, but it was worth it because that was one of those uh, blue CDs I got from the library. They just had all 29 songs he recorded. The song Sweet Home Chicago kind of lifts from other blue standards at the time. It doesn't lift from uh, Leonard Skinner? We're not going to talk about that. (laughs) The weird thing with Robert Johnson is that he also talks about going to California, my sweet home Chicago, and no one really knows what he meant like does he not know geography or just does he (laughs) does he just want to leave the south became kind of an anthem for just migration from the south to chicago getting more urban jobs oh yeah that's true i was thinking maybe like racial inequality stuff but that makes sense too yeah it is racial inequality of of just african-americans leaving the south moving to chicago detroit Mm -hmm. just the great flight north yeah, yeah. Then in all subsequent versions, they usually cut out the line about California because it doesn't make a lot of sense. The line is back to the land of California to my sweet home, Chicago. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty line, but it doesn't it really make a lot of sense. Unless there's a Chicago, California, I don't know about. It leads to an interesting point, actually, where we're talking about like the racial inequality. I was sort of expecting when I before I started watching this that this would be very much more these two white guys appropriating all this music, which I mean, it kind of is. But it was a lot more reverent than I was expecting. Like it was, it was much more a loving homage to that than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's not a minstrel show. I think no. they they really love this music and they're yeah. trying to celebrate yeah. it. And so it's like that shout out to Wilson Pickett at the end, right? And they give credit where credits due. So they they released a couple albums mm-hmm. that are not related to the movie, and you should go check them out. Uh, but usually at the end of every song, they say who who the song was from and who originally did it, which is more credit than Led Zeppelin ever gave. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I was looking at old reviews for this movie, and a lot of them were very positive, but the ones that weren't had a tendency to criticize the movie for not being explicit as to why they were so fascinated by African-American culture, which I don't know if that's entirely a fair criticism. I don't know if that really makes a difference, but if I thought, I just thought it was interesting that I thought the movie kind of explained that as they were raised by Cab Calloway playing them blues records all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a crummy childhood and like their only escape was Cab Calloway would invite them down to his little sub-basement apartment. His his little dungeon. (laughs) It's kind of like Parasite. He had a sub-basement apartment. Right. (laughs) And like their only solace was like they got to listen to blues, old blues records. Very formative for them. Yeah. 
just like watching this movie at a young age was formative and my enjoyment of rhythm and blues. And so they finish Sweet Home Chicago and the band keeps playing. They jump off stage and we get a, our deuce ex machina to resolve the plot. There's a large man offering them $10,000 for a recording session. <laughs> Which I don't, I don't know if that's a lot of money for a recording session. So then it, they, it's a very trusting guy because he just gives them the five grand they need. He, they give them instructions about paying back Ray, paying the band. Yep. And then it's time for the great escape. Yeah, this is where the budget goes out of control for the cars. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but before we get there, our last scene with Carrie Fisher. And it's far and away the best scene with Carrie Fisher. It's the best scene because she talks, yes. Yes. They go down to the tunnel. And they are confronted by her. And we find out that it's Jake's ex-fiance. And she's very spiteful, very vindictive. There were some issues with her family not approving of the marriage. I I don't see why not. Yeah, they're laying in the mud. And Jake crawls up to her, laying out every excuse he could think of. (laughs) And I was wondering, well, should we cut the Carrie Fisher subplot? But I think you need it to reinforce that they're on a mission from God. Yeah, I wouldn't cut it. It's not that intrusive. It's not as slow and winding as the, the Illinois Nazis. Outside of the first scene when he's in jail, it's the only scene we have where he takes off his sunglasses. Well, this And this scene, you actually see his eyes, because in the jail, you only see the back of his head. This is the only time in the movie you see the, the eyes of a blues brother. He's very desperate at that point, and that's, the eyes are the centerpiece of that shot, I think. Right, because he wins her over, gives her a kiss, and then throws her in the mud. Yes. <laughs> in a one, two, three swift move, he's like, all right, let's go, Elwood. They gotta hurry. They don't have much time left. Yeah. <laughs> the movie's almost done. That's that's it for Carrie Fisher. And then we come to one of the best quotes in the movie from Elwood. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Jake says, "Hit it." They take off, and then the the giant speaker <laughs> flies out of the car. <laughs> flies off the car, and then you have most of the Illinois police force and Carrie Fisher just shooting at the car. And again. They're fine. No damage. Just keep on going. The car's starting to get a little beat up. With, but then, that leads to a funny gag at the end, but we'll get there. <laughs> yes. And then they're getting chased by the cops and the good old boys. We, we missed the scene where uh, Elwood sneaks into their RV and sprays glue on the gas pedal. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. This is how they take care of the good old boys. And if you, if you have the DVD, there's a deleted scene where Elwood is working in a glue factory. So that's how he got the glue. Okay. And he talks to his boss about he has to quit because he's going to go start the band back. This is a scene that definitely needed to cut. We don't need five minutes explaining why he has glue. And it's part of just the non sequitur humor of the of the movie, too, that he would just happen to have glue on him. He just happened to have this on him. He's a regular Inspector Gadget. Right. <laughs> he has it on him, and he just says to his brother, this is glue. Very powerful stuff. And that's all you need. The good old boys are dealt with. Bob says, can't this thing go any faster? And he's about to get his comeuppance. They end up in a in a pond. This is some crazy car chasing going on. It's just an insane amount of cars. And then they just start piling up on each other when they start falling in there. And again, the Blues Brothers are still talking very nonchalant. Elwood says, hold on, I got to pull over. <laughs> he drives off the highway through the median onto another highway. That's, That's- another thing, too, is that the one scene, I forget where they were going. I think it's when they were going to go pick up Murph. When they go to his mom's house, the way he like spins the car backwards, does like a 180, and then he pulls right next to the sidewalk perfectly. It's like a perfect right. parking I'll job. Parallel park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just setting up his crazy driving abilities. Crazy, but in control somehow. And I always love their crazy antics and when they're just speaking very dry, nonchalant. Right. When <laughs> there's all this insanity going on around them. Right. Because they're driving in, and then you see, you cut to like headquarters and. They say lethal force is allowed in apprehending the Blues Brothers. And then, yeah, you start to see that, that gra- as they go down that grass berm, that's the destruction of a lot of cars. Yeah, it's just one after another after another. And it becomes it, <laughs> so crazy that there's just so many cars and they're all going out <laughs> of control. And you and don't even know like where they come from. They just start appearing and falling down on top of the other ones. It's just amazing how many people are chasing them. Yeah. And this is the end of a John Candy's story. What car are we in? Five five. This is car five five. Uh, we're in a truck. An unceremonious finish. Yes. And then they just long highway driving, and they finally arrive in Chicago. Finally, make it to the tax appraiser. Well, they they drive through Chicago for a while. They go through mm. the the Daly Building, and and the last time I was in Chicago, I I visited as a tourist. 
I did double takes at buildings because was like, oh, I've seen, where have I seen? Oh, the Blues Brothers. That that building was in the movie. So they they get to they drive through, cause some destruction and mayhem in Chicago. No one's injured naturally. They arrive at the tax appraiser building, and you referenced this earlier. That's the, the fall of our favorite character, the car. They park the car. They get out of the car, and after uh, hours of wear and tear, well, probably weeks of wear and tear, shut the door. The car falls into pieces. <laughs> Very Looney Tune style. Right. The song playing while they were driving through Chicago was uh, was Ride of the Valkyries. This was also coming off the heels of Apocalypse Now, so that was definitely in the public consciousness at that point. The zeitgeist of yeah, Ride of the Valkyries kind of became a go-to for comedy of chase scenes. Right. They make it into the building and immediately start taking objects to block the door of the building. <laughs> the door. <laughs> and then they're running through this building where everyone else is... Ho-hum. And then they stop, ask, where do we go for tax appraisal payments? <laughs> and you go, oh, just down that way. Okay, thank you. And just, you know, carry on about their business and get get into the elevator. Elevator closes and then we cut to the uh, insane mob of people who are chasing them and they can't we, get in the door. <laughs> we've got the, we have the local Chicago police, state troopers, the U.S. National Guard, SWAT teams. There's a shot, <laughs> there's a scene of a tank. And then they start, what do they start doing? Like, hop, 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 because the firemen chopped through the doors in the barricade, and then just like the Blues Brothers ran through, stopped, and asked the two guys for directions, the guy leading the charge does the same thing. Hi, you see two guys in suits, one carrying a briefcase? Yeah, they went that way. <laughs> and then it's back to hut, 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 hut. <laughs> the so, one uh, funny thing that I noticed, that it's not really a blooper, but it's a very, very movie thing, mm-hmm. is when they get to the door of the building. And before they even try to open the door, it's like they already know that the door is barricaded, so they just start pounding on it before they even... Like, you guys got to open the door before you know that it's blocked off. They know who they're dealing with. They're dealing with the Blues Brothers. True, true. <laughs> and then while all this mayhem of, like, people storming the building uh, with, with a whole army... The Blues Brothers are in an elevator, and the elevator music is the girl from Ipanema, which is also an an inside John Landis joke. Anytime there's an elevator in a John Landis movie. I did not know that. That, This is the song that's playing. Yes, this is the Brazilian jazz song. Yeah, Astrid Gilberto, right? Quando, quando, quando is not Brazilian jazz. It's an old pop song. I see. Italian pop song. You're right. Okay. That was a very famous um, Brazilian crossover song in the early 60s. Uh, Stan Getz and Astrid Gilberto. That song is still like on oldies radio stations and stuff. And then they they get off the elevator. They barricade another glass door, <laughs> which always seemed kind of futile. And they barricade that glass door. And they get to the get to the 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 tax appraisal office. And there's a sign back in five minutes. <laughs> so they're just standing around waiting while it's hut 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 hut. They try to go in the elevator at first. Right. <laughs> the elevators. Yep. Elevators in use. <laughs> so they're running up. <laughs> To, I think to the 11th floor. Yeah. yeah. That's a long time to, I don't know if you've ever run upstairs, Fitzy, but doing that and going, hut, 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 uh, the whole that, time. that takes a lot out of you. And carrying uh, those rifles aren't light. No. And the body armor, that's a workout. Yeah, it is. But not five minutes later, maybe more like five seconds later, the door opens and it's none other than Steven Spielberg of all people. Right. This, I think, was before he and John Landis had a falling out. The Twilight Zone movie was later in the 80s. And then they they broke their friend uh, friendship over that because of the Twilight Zone accident with Vic Morrow. And the, the child actors as well. John Landis and Spielberg used to be friends. And then that kind of uh, ended it. Yeah, he makes the most of his uh, 45 seconds on screen. Right, yeah. He, he fills out the paperwork, stamps it. Mm-hmm. Hands it to him. Eats a sandwich. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's got his sandwich. Yep. And then the the scene, you, you hear all of the guns clicking. And, and <laughs> yeah. they just, Another great visual gag. <laughs> firearms are pointed at him because it's very liberal use of firearms because they, they shoot the door aggressively. <laughs> and that's unsafe because there's no they don't know if there's civilians behind that door. Right. They just kind of go right. for it. They just load their M14s into, into the door, the whole clip, it looks like. <laughs> I don't think that helps with barricades, but well, yeah, just, worth the, a try. <laughs> the amount of people pointing firearms at the Blues Brothers, it must took a while to stage the shot because everyone is perfectly lined up. Oh, yeah. It's a perfect semicircle of people in rows right behind them. It's really, it's actually very cool looking. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah. That scene quickly cuts. To Jailhouse to, Rock. Yes. Probably one of the greatest credit sequences in films. Oh, it's great. Before they do, they play the entirety of Jailhouse Rock. The people in the jail are loving it. They, oh, they start a riot, which I, I don't think would be allowed. 
everyone jumping and dancing like that. I wouldn't think so. But but even like the prison guards are digging the music. The big star cameos all sing a little part of Jailhouse Rock and the band members all do little solos. Yeah, as, as their name comes on in the credits. That was very, very clever how they did that. Mm-hmm. I love how a lot of like 80s, 70s, 80s movies had pretty phenomenal and creative ending credit sequences. I kind of miss that. Yeah, no, I was thinking that same thing. Like, I wish there were more musical comedies ended credits like this. Or I like when I watch films from the 30s and the credits are very grandiose at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like the <laughs> big glamour shots of the stars as their names pop up. With the mellifluous music playing. Yes. They're, they're beautiful. They're like works of art. I sound like such a boomer. A lot of times now in movies, you don't even see the title of the movie till the, the very end. Are you just getting to the theater late? <laughs> that might be what it is. <laughs> I was wondering why these movies today are so short. Yeah, you just you got to plan better. <laughs> but yeah, that's the long and short of the Blues Brothers. And um, it's funny. This was also something I was thinking when I was watching it is, and I understand why. I was like, I'm surprised because it's such a, it's like a musical that they never really made it into like a, a stage play or something. But it's so elaborate and so over the top that you could not pull something like this off on stage. How would you do the car chases? Right. <laughs> exactly. Over 10% of the film is car chases. And the car chases are just as elaborately staged and choreographed as any of the music sequences are. I know. this It's such a great movie because it's got comedy, music, action. Mm-hmm. Something for everybody. It, there's not, it's not a joke of minutes. So you're not exhausted with humor. Yeah, it gives you room to breathe between all the music sequences and everything like that. I would cut some things out. Other than that, like, it's a pretty, it's a very entertaining movie. Entertaining enough that it became a huge cult classic it wasn't much of a success on its initial release but years after it actually almost became like a cultural phenomenon yeah i I think that's why my mom introduced it to me because it's just everyone it's one of those movies everyone kind of knows absolutely even if you haven't seen it you know the blues brothers and you you, there's you know the famous scenes that really stick in your head some jerk has said three orange whips in front of you right (laughs) Let's fast forward to the year 2000 after, you, you know, well, we, we lose John Belushi, as we all know, in 1982 from a very tragic drug overdose that didn't stop them from making the Blues Brothers 2000. Yeah. Have you seen that? Film? I have not. The Blues Brothers 2000 starts with a, a in memoriam to Belushi, Cab Calloway and John Candy, who had all passed since. Mm-hmm. But that that film is even more cameos. It starts with uh, Elwood getting out of jail 18 years after the shenanigans of the first film and he finds out his brother's past and cab's past he didn't know that his brother passed because they were weren't they in the same jail well his brother got out sooner oh i see okay elwood got more time since he was the one actually driving gotcha they kind of just do the same film again and with this time with john goodman and a 10 year old boy and uh hmm. joe morton it also is another blue brother aretha franklin and matt guitar murphy own a car dealership instead of a diner Okay. James Brown comes back. It's just not, it's not really worth checking out. Yeah, I don't really have, I don't know. It didn't look that appealing to me. I'm looking now at the list of um, cameos, and yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. Steve Winwood, Eric Clapton, Dr. John. Wilson Pickett, Taj Mahal, who wrote a uh, oh, yeah, yeah. song. Erica Badu, that's crazy. She plays a Caribbean or a, a Bayou witch. <laughs> I could see her doing that. Yeah, it, I don't think it would, didn't have to stretch your range much. To no, play. <laughs> no. But it's it's pretty much cameos, car chases, and music again. And John Landis came back to direct, but it just doesn't hold up. Or yeah, it's kind of that Phantom Menace syndrome because there's a ten year old kid and people are expecting more of a that movie from the eighties feel. Right, right. Is uh, does Jar Jar Binks make an appearance? Uh, if no, this predates Episode One. Oh, okay. <laughs> I remember there's a nice scene at the end where. Elwood tells uh, the kid, and they both put their seatbelts on. Because if you watch the Blues Brothers, they never wear their seatbelts in the cop car. And so they fix that in Blues Brothers at the end of Blues <laughs> Brothers 2000. Is Elwood, after 20 years in jail, well, I should put a seatbelt on while I'm getting chased by the cops. <laughs> I like that. Then there's um, a soundtrack album that accompanied this too. But it didn't seem, like I looked at the track list, it didn't seem that complete. Unless I was just looking at the wrong version. It doesn't have... Well, it has the songs the Blues Brothers performed. It doesn't mm-hmm. have the background music like uh, John Lee Hooker and Sam and Dave. So that we might have to make a Spotify playlist. 
Yeah. So yeah, that that that's the Blues Brothers. If you haven't seen it in a while, if it's uh, if you've never seen it at all, it's definitely worth checking out. It's not Casablanca or anything like that, but it's very entertaining. It's really fun. It's any music fan I think would get a lot out of this. At least we'll have the Blues Brothers. I'm glad I rewatched it. It's still as fun as I remember. It it didn't feel like a two hour film. It, there's enough going on. It helped me listen to songs by Taj Mahal now and looking up him, looking up the the timpani band. Yeah, this uh, it's still a good, fun movie. Thank you for coming on and doing this. I'm sure you have a lot of things to promote. Not really. Uh, support <laughs> your local library. Yes, once you can get into the library, which will probably not be until about another month from now. Yeah, uh, support your local library, support your local brewery and restaurants. Yeah. Where can we find you on social media platforms? I'm on the Twitter at MR underscore Berkey. And uh, for me, you can find me at... Movies at Rock Pod on Twitter, and also you can email me at movies at rockpod at gmail.com if you want to discuss anything more about the Blues Brothers, if you agree, disagree. Um, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, good or bad, it's fine, but it helps people find the show. Also, how to, many bad reviews do you have? I have one review total. Right, let's try and get those reviews up to at least two. You got to promise to read out the next review on air. All right, I will. Because that's going to be a rite of passage to finally have more than just one review. If you want to get in contact with my personal Twitter account, it's at JoshF618. So, yeah. So, that that pretty much covers everything. I appreciate you coming on and doing this. It's been, it's been fun. I'm glad that we finally were able to connect beyond just Twitter. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks for having me on. It was fun. Well, I heard about the fella you've been dancing with all over the neighborhood. So why didn't you ask me, baby? Or didn't you think I could? Well, I know that the boogaloo is out of sight, but the shingle is